And I mentioned to her how intimidating it is to step in for Greg when he's not available and to step in for Sandra when she doesn't do that. <laughs> and it is very intimidating. Will you tell Norm that I just messed up all his okay, stuff? Okay, Norm. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, as she and I were talking about that, I said, you know, the other thing that I never heard in all my seminary classes, and I know Sandra hasn't heard in hers, is that uh, you want to start a sermon in the middle of someone taking the offering. And oh, so yeah. I was just kind of hoping you'd maybe so, sing, sing for us. Well, oh! <laughs> you know what? Hey, look at that. How can you... I did that at, at the 50s dance last night. I did sing. I sang, look at me, I'm Sandra D. And I had pigtails. And so I think I've pretty much fulfilled my obligation well, right, for singing right. solos. But yes, it's very hard to fill in Greg's very large shoes. And it's very difficult to come against the people taking the offering. So if we can just get past those things and get rolling. Father, bless We're ready Kevin. Roll. Thank you. Bless Kevin. You can go now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> As you already know, we're going to be celebrating communion this evening, and as happens often uh, in a communion time, it's preceded by a time of confession. So I thought that I would begin my message this evening uh, with with some confession. And in particular, I want to uh, present to you a couple of confessions of an introvert. I happen to be an introvert. Uh, sometimes I'm really outgoing and have lots of fun, but most of the time I'm, I'm at least a mild introvert. And once in a while I'd be what you might call an extreme introvert. And I have a couple of confessions for you. The first one is this. Uh, on occasion I travel for business and, and when I am at the airport, at the gate, right before I get on a plane, I need to confess to you that I do not pray that the Lord will have someone sit next to me that I can lead to Christ. I don't do that. In fact, it's worse than that. Sometimes I even pray in earnest that no one will sit next to me on the plane. It's my time. I've got a stack of books and papers and, and my journal, which I haven't written in sometimes since the last time I was on an airplane, and, and I don't want anybody next to me. Just in case I don't get there in time and, and spread my briefcase out on the seat next to me, hoping someone will maybe think to look for another seat, if, if I'm there late and I think, you know, my, my aisle has already been filled, I'll have a book in my hand so that as I slip through to the window seat, someone sitting over here will get the idea that, hey, this guy just wants to read, leave him alone. I did that one time, and as I slipped by this, this kindly-looking older woman, she said, I see you got a book there, Sonny. And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, uh, you planning on reading? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, well, that's too bad, Sonny, because I'm planning on talking. <laughs> True story. She talked my ear off all the way down to Knoxville, Tennessee. The second confession I have for you this evening related to my introversion, and you may think this is a bit paradoxical, but when I go shopping for groceries at Cub over here on Rice Street, I guess it would be up that way, um, you know how that store is if you've been there. It's packed all the time, especially on a Saturday. But when I'm done shopping, that cart is full. I'm pushing it through the parking lot, and invariably I'll break into a run faster and faster and faster until I'm sprinting as fast as I can and then I hop on the back and I go, Woohoo! <laughs> My wife thinks that that's because it's the little kid in me coming out and she kind of likes that and 
She's partly right, but I've got to burst her bubble a little bit. In, in a way, I've come to analyze this as related to my introversion. I mean, if you're like me, you know what it's like to go into Cub on a Saturday and you need to buy two weeks' worth of groceries. You just want to tell everybody, get out of my way so I can get out of your way. You're bumping into them. They're bumping into you. It takes you an hour when you think it should take a half an hour. And that isn't even going through the line. So 40 minutes later, you're through the line and I've got my sanity. And so I sprint across that parking lot, hop on the cart and say, yippee! That's what I do. <laughs> Against that backdrop of, of not wanting to be around all those people who are just bugging me, and, and you might think I'm a bit of a Scrooge, I need to tell you that one of the two themes I want to talk about tonight is community. You're saying, Kev, what do you know about community? What are you, nuts? Well, you know what? I don't know enough about community. And that's why I want to talk about it tonight and one other thing as well. And I need your help in community. In spite of my personality inclinations, or, or maybe even because of them, as over the past year I've listened to Greg and Sandra talk about compelling, life-changing, true community, it just kind of sits there and gnaws at me. I'm compelled to think it through and wrestle with it and pray about it. As I have sought the Lord over the last couple of weeks about what I might bring to you this evening, there are two themes actually that came into a very sharp focus for me. And both of those themes are things you have heard here at Woodland Hills Church. The first I've already mentioned, it has to do with community. And the second one has to do with the power of God. I bring that to you again. Not something that I see God speaking to me just privately on my own. I'm getting that from just being here with you in the chairs worshiping week in and week out. I believe that we are only scratching the surface of the power of God in our lives. And He has so much more for us. And what I want to do today in the 20 minutes or so that I have is take a look at both of those things community and the power of God. And I want to do something I've just never heard anyone else do before, and that is bring them together as naturally and connected. I, just want, I want you to see them as naturally connected. They're interdependent. One goes with the other like a hand and glove. I want to bring them together. I want to join them at the hip. I want to marry them for us so that we begin to see as we seek the power of God the connection it has to community. And as we begin to seek God for deeper level of community, we see the connection it has to His power being unleashed in our life. Pray with me, will you? God, open our hearts, open our minds, and uh, as we have sung these songs of worship tonight, and we will continue in the Lord's Supper following my words, Lord, just, just be with us. We acknowledge your presence here, and just open us up to all that you have for us. As we wrestle with these two ideas of, of community and power and how to make them work in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're inclined to take notes, there's really only two things I'm going to say, two statements I'm going to make, and then we're going to talk about them. And so these are the two things you'd want to write down. Here's the first one. True community 
as Greg and Sandra have been speaking about it, and I'm not going to rehash what that is, but true community is the place where God's power is unleashed. True community is the place where God's power is unleashed. Think of it as the soil for the power of God to take root and grow. Think of true community as as what provides the opportunity to open ourselves up to the work of God in our lives in powerful ways. Let me build a biblical basis for that. And to do that, I need need to ask you the question, what does God intend for us in giving us His power? Why does He give us His power? Why does He tell us in many, many places that that same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you and available to you? Why? To what end? Sometimes God does miraculous things in us and through us. Incredibly miraculous things just to display His glory. And I say, Amen. There are other times God does miraculous things in and through us just because He loves us. But there are other reasons as well that God gives to us and expects us to access and employ His power in our lives. Romans 8, verse 11. It says that verse that I just kind of quoted as I was was going earlier, that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power of the Spirit, dwells in you. And as it does, it will give life to your mortal bodies. Now, in order to understand what Paul is talking about there, you need to probably look at the rest of Romans 8 and perhaps Romans chapter 7. And what Paul is talking about is this huge struggle between, boy, the things that I want to do, I can't, I just don't do them. And and the stuff that I don't want to do, that's the very thing I'm doing. And he's talking about life change and victory over sin. And in the context of that, he says, you better realize that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what dwells in you. And so God intends for us to access His power, to have it dwell in us for life change, for power over sin and our sinful nature. I look also to Ephesians 3 and and, and found a couple of the prayers of Paul. He says this, you know, for this reason I kneel before my Father. This is what I pray for, for you, the church. I pray that you may have Power. Why? Verse 18, if you turn there. Together with all the saints, power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What an incredible prayer. How I wish we would pray that for each other continually. One of the reasons... God has given us His incredible power is that we might understand at a profound level how full is God's love for me and you. Also in Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 17 to 20, if you just want to jot this down, I'm not going to read it all, but, but same sort of idea. Paul says, God's incomparably great power is available to you so that you might know the riches of your inheritance in the saints. 
Now, do you think he might mean so that you might know what you're going to get when you finally get to heaven? Don't think that way for a second. He's talking about our inheritance here and now. He's talking about turning back the strongholds of Satan and living the kingdom life now. That's why he wants us to know that incomparably great power now. As you make a study of New Testament passages related to the power of God at work in our lives, you begin to see that the purpose very much includes us living life to the full and having vibrant lives as God intends for us to have. That's why. That's why the power. And again, my assertion is that true community is the place where that power is unleashed. It's liberated. It's set free. And it grows and it springs up and it changes you and I. Why do I believe that? Well, think of a couple of things. Number one, the spiritual gifts. If you were here last week, you know that Greg started a series in 1 Corinthians. And when he gets around to chapter 12, in a couple of years, he'll be doing something on the spiritual gifts. But if you know anything about the spiritual gifts at all, what they are are supernatural bestowments upon each member of the body of Christ that we might build each other up. You see the connection between true community the body operating the way it should, you and I being connected in honesty and love and those gifts flowing and the power that comes with them? In Matthew 18, verses 19, or 20, 19 and 20, Jesus says, Whenever two or three are gathered in My name, what? There I am. I am there with you. I am there. My power is there to work in your lives. It's about community. It only makes sense that as, as I am known as, and as I know people, as I am loved and as I love, that the stage is set for God to move in power in my life. As I seek God and as I have sought Him here at this church, I hear His call, and it comes from the teaching that we have all received. I hear His call to experience His power in my life. And I've come to understand that that then becomes a call to be connected to other like-minded followers of Christ in true community. Now, a practical word on where to find that level of community. You know where you find that level of community? You don't. You've got to make it. This church staff works so hard on our behalf, and, and it's fun to be able to speak to you for a few minutes as, as one of you and not as a member of the pastoral staff. But there are the, the, the covenant group ministries, a place where we're trying to make true community happen. Our ministry teams, I don't know if you know this, but all our ministry teams are focused and committed this year to make true community happen as you minister together. But it takes more than that. I would say, look for community wherever you are with other believers. Who'd you come with tonight? Are you experiencing true community with that person or those persons? 
You experiencing true community in your marriage? Kathy and I, like all of you or most of you, lead a very busy life. She works, I work. We've got three kids, including a couple of teenagers. Our lives are full. We took a, we took a getaway a couple of weeks ago. We went south to one of those islands and just walked beaches and, and soaked up the warm sun and that sort of thing. But you know what we realized while we were there? We had been out of true community for who knows how long. No fighting. No big crises. We just weren't in community. And it was wonderful to take those three days to, to make community happen in our marriage again. A newlywed couple was at a, at a, at a party not long after they were married. And, and at this party, the discussion uh, turned to their plans for having kids and how many and that sort of thing. And, and the wife immediately knew the answer. She spoke up for the two of them and said, Oh yeah, we're going to have three kids. The husband looked at her and cocked his head a little bit and said, actually, no, we're only going to have two. It began this argument that went back and forth as to how many kids they were going to have. Finally, the husband thought he'd put an end to it, and he said, well, I'm telling you what, after the second kid is born, I'm just going to go out and have a vasectomy. To which the wife, not to be outdone, immediately said, well, then I hope you will love the third child as much as your own. Now, there's a marriage in need of some community. My point is, this church is growing so fast and it is so dynamic. And I'm th- once we get over to that property over by that OK, that OK Mark building, it's just going to explode. And if you're looking for someone to lead you to community... Pray about making it instead. True community is the place where God's power is unleashed. And just as that is true, it leads me to my second point, which is kind of flipping things around, and it is this. Just as true community is the place where God's power is unleashed, it is also true that the power of God at work in us leads us into deeper community. The power of God at work in my life and in yours will naturally lead us into the deeper community that we covet, that we seek, that we value as a church. As we gain an understanding of why God would lavish His power on us, as we see it as as about life change, as miracles occur, as truth reigns in our relationships, and as through His power we gain a deeper understanding of His love for us, that can only lead us down one road. That's a road of rich, true community. At the last church Kathy and I were at, uh, just a couple of years ago, we started a new a small group. And the first week that we had our group together, we both sensed that God was about to do something pretty powerful. Uh, we weren't sure, but we, we had a good idea. The second week, as soon as our guests walked out the door, we knew God was moving in power. And I got on my knees, and Kathy called this one girl in our group and said, we got to get together because we could sense that God was about to bring this person into His kingdom. And this gal said, yeah, let's get together. They got together the next day, and Kathy led her to Christ, and it was a miracle. 
But you know what was really neat was the next time our group got together, she came in just all aglow as you could imagine. And she said a really beautiful thing. Those of you who've grown up in the church like I did, we have this language that sometimes just doesn't make sense. You know how we say a person accepted Christ? You ever thought of that as being odd? Well, she didn't know that language. And she said something very beautiful. She told us about Kathy and she getting together that morning and the power of the Spirit just being palpable and the point at which all the confusion in her mind that Satan had put there was just washed away and she saw a whole new world the way that God sees it. And she reached out to the Lord and she came to the group that night and she said, and Jesus accepted me. Oh, man. When God moves in power, we are led into deeper community. I can't begin to tell you the impact that made on our little group that was only two weeks old. The power of God at work in our lives leads us into deeper community. There's a reason why we have been hearing two themes at Woodland Hills Church. There's a reason why we have been hearing about community and about power. And it's because they go hand in hand. Think of them as complementing gifts of God. And each one gives life to the other. The extent to which we realize that is the extent to which we can cooperate with God and what He longs to do in our midst. Do you see it? It's such a natural connection. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tony Campolo. He's a pretty radical speaker. He's been speaking to Christian groups around the world for many years. And I've had a chance to hear him when I was in college. And and, uh, he writes about a true experience that he had over in Hawaii. He does a lot of speaking around the world, as I said. But when he travels from his hometown in Pennsylvania to Hawaii, he's off by about six hours on his clock. And when he gets there, he says he wakes up at three in the morning. And it feels like nine in the morning. Not only that, but I'm hungry for breakfast when almost everything on the island is closed. And here's what he says. That's why I was wandering the streets of Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning looking for a place to eat. Up a side street, I found a little greasy spoon that was still open. So I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter and waited to be served. Obviously not versed in public relations, the fat guy behind the counter came over and said, What do you want? I said, I'd like a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee and wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron and grabbed a donut off the shelf and handed it to me. But as I sat there sipping my coffee, the door of the diner swung open and to my great discomfort, in marched eight or nine very provocatively dressed and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small diner, so they sat all around me, some of them bumping into me as they made their way to their tables and stools. Their talk was loud. It was crude. I felt completely out of place. I was just about ready to leave when I overheard the woman sitting beside me say to her friend, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend said, So what? What do you want, a birthday party or something? You want a cake? You want to have somebody sing happy birthday to you? Give me a break. The woman sitting next to me said, Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. 
I was just telling you, why should anyone want to give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party my whole life. Why should I want a party? Campolo says that when he heard that, he made a decision. He says, I sat and waited until that woman left. I waited until all the women left. And then I called over the guy behind the counter and I said, do they come in here every night? Yeah, so what? Well, the one next to me. She come in here every night? Yeah, that's Agnes. But big deal, why do you want to know? Well, because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. And what do you say that you and I do something about that? What do you say that we throw a party for her right here, 3.30, tomorrow night? <laughs> a sly smile crossed his chubby cheeks, Campolo writes. That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife who did the cooking in the back of the room, he shouted, Hey, Louise, come on out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday, and this guy wants us to go in with him and throw a party for her. Right here, tomorrow night. His wife came out beaming. She thought it was a great idea. So Tony said, Look, if it's okay with you, I'll be back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a cake. No way, said Harry. The cake is my thing. I'm on for the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I bought some crepe paper and helium balloons. I made a big, long sign that we hung from one end of the diner to the other that simply read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. Well, Harry's wife must have gotten word out on the street because by 3.15 a.m., every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. There must have been 20 prostitutes and me all jammed into this dirty little diner. We were giddy with excitement. And at 3.30, on the dot, someone said, Here she comes. The door of the diner swung open, and in walked Agnes. On cue, everybody shouted, Happy birthday, Agnes! And never, he says, never have I seen a person so stunned. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit, and a friend had to grab her arm to steady her. And as she was led over to one of the stools by the counter... We all sang, Happy Birthday. And when we came to the end with, Happy Birthday, dear Agnes, Happy Birthday to you, her eyes moistened. And when she saw Harry carry out the cake with all the candles on it, she just openly wept. After a moment, Harry cleared his throat and said, uh, Agnes, blow out the candles. <laughs> blow out the candles, Agnes. Agnes, if you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. She was frozen. She couldn't move. And so Harry blew out the candles, and then he handed her a knife and said, Cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, cut the cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. And without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, Harry, look, is it all right with you if I... I mean... Is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? Is it okay if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged, said sure. He knew. It's okay, Agnes. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. In fact, take it home if you want to. Can I? She beamed, can I? I'll be right back, honest. She slid off her stool 
picked up the cake and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, she walked slowly toward the door. And we all stood there motionless as she walked out into the street. You see what Tony Campolo did? Do you see what moved that dear woman to tears? For a brief moment, perhaps for the first moment in her life, she experienced a little taste of community. There, in a dirty little diner at 3.30 in the morning with a group of hardened, sin-soaked people who knew little or nothing of the grace and power of God except what Tony brought them. They tasted community. And so I simply ask you, how much more does God want for us? How much more does God long for us to delve into the depths of true community and all of the power that that unleashes? We, who He has called to be His sons and daughters, who name the name of the Lord as our Savior. We who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. How much more that we might change our lives and the lives of the Agnuses of this world. If you've been around at all, you know that we call ourselves a covenant community. And I want you to covenant with me to seek the face of God and the unleashing of His power in our midst as we commit to true community wherever we can make it. We're going to celebrate communion now. Sandra's going to come up. We'll be doing some more worship. And I just want to point out to you the beauty of communion on this evening and around this message because what is communion if it isn't a celebration of two things? Community. That's why we call it communion. That's why we partake of it together, not at home. And what is communion if it is not a celebration of the power of God? Amen? So enjoy both of those things. Let's celebrate them. Let's honor our God by calling for them in our midst as we partake of communion. So I'm going to call up Sandra at this point. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we stand dumbfounded when we think about how we only scratch the surface of all that You have for us. Don't let us be satisfied with that. Keep moving. Keep stirring in our midst. And we will follow You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks, Kevin. I want to focus us just a little bit as we go into communion. And I want us to take a look together. Sometimes we do this at communion. We take a look at the early church, which obviously is where communion began, as Jesus charged his followers to remember him on a regular basis. And if you go back and look at the early church in the first and the second and the third centuries, what you will find, surprisingly enough, is that communion is exactly what Kevin mentioned. It was a celebration of the power of God. It wasn't until a few centuries after the death of Christ that communion became a more somber occasion that focused on Good Friday rather than Resurrection Sunday. 
And so in keeping what Kevin shared with us about the power of God unleashed in community, I want us to go back to the first and the second century and look at communion through the eyes of people then. And those eyes were focused on the victory that they saw as their God came in human form and offered his life for them and then was victorious over death. And so their communion services were focused, as we see in the book of Acts, as they gathered together in homes, they celebrated the power of God. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they were overwhelmed that their God had become one of them, had triumphed over the grave, and had now offered them hope they could triumph over their sins and over their struggles. I don't know about you, but the communion that I celebrated as a child was a very somber, very serious, almost frightening occasion where we were continuously reminded of how far short we fell of the power of God. But I want us tonight to come together and celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And certainly we are grateful for the work that our God did on Good Friday. But tonight we can come together as a community and realize that no matter what's going on in our lives, our struggles, our hard times, our doubts, that we have a God who became one of us and was victorious and desires to redeem us and desires to meet us where we are. So as our worship team comes and as our high schoolers come to serve communion to us tonight, I want us to enter into this time of worship and into this time of communion together as a community, really focusing on our powerful God who was victorious and so can offer us victory over sin. I'll read from us from 1 Corinthians 11, where we find Paul saying, reminding the Corinthian believers that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And tonight I want us to proclaim the victory that came in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's worship. There is none like you. No.
Father, we thank you tonight for what this bread represents. That it is the body of your Son. And tonight we celebrate, Father, because we know that as he was victorious over the grave, so we can take part in that victory. And whatever struggle and whatever sin and whatever hardship and whatever questions, that victory is great enough and it is our only hope. And Father, we thank you. We come before you with joyful and glad hearts because we understand that you are our only hope. And we praise you for that, Lord. And as a community, we ask that that power, that victorious power, that redeeming power would be unleashed. And we thank you for your work in our lives. And we thank you for that victory. And we praise you for the hope that is only found in your Son, in whose name we pray. Let's celebrate the body that was broken for us together.
blood is enough. We praise you that there is power in your blood. And Father, for each person here tonight, we give thanks that that power is enough. And Father, for each high schooler and youth worker serving tonight, and each family that's here, and each single person, for each parent, husband, wife, grandparent, child, We thank you that that power is enough. And Father, we praise you tonight because this blood makes all the difference. And we praise you tonight because this blood transforms us. And this blood gives us hope. And so tonight as we celebrate, Father, your Son and the blood that he shed, we see a picture of the empty tomb. And we see that he was victorious, Father. He shed the blood. And then it was finished. And so we thank you, Lord, that because of that blood, the power of sin in our life is finished. We praise you, Father. We praise you for this blood. We praise you for your Son, in whose name we pray. Let's celebrate the blood that he shed for us together.
amazing grace, how sweet the sound. there. 
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving a wretch like me. Bless your name, Lord. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give praise to the Lord in this place. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God, amen? amen? Come on, church, let's say it like we mean it. Do we serve an awesome God? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, as the prayer team comes forward, pray with me here. I'm going to say a pro- uh, closing prayer here and dismiss you. I'd like the prayer team to come forward. Pray with me here. Hallelujah. Father, we adore you. We worship you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for the message, Lord God, of community. Hallelujah, Lord. We can feel it here in this place, Lord God. And it's because, Lord God, as your word tells us, where two or more are gathered. Lord, you are here. And Father, you are here. And there's joy in our hearts, Lord God, because of the incredible price you paid for us, Lord God, that we might be redeemed. Hallelujah. Cleansed, set upon the rock, and used, Father God, for your glory. Father, I pray that for any of any person out here tonight that doesn't know you, just kind of learning and kind of searching, Father, I pray that right now, by the power of your Spirit, draw them, Lord. Call them. Call them forward, Lord, to pray with somebody. Call them, Lord, to even ask a brother or sister standing next to them. And ask, how can I learn and know about this Savior? How can I receive this Savior? Hallelujah. Draw them, Lord God. Draw your children unto you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord God, in which your Spirit has just moved so tenderly, Lord. I just pray, Father God, that as we leave this place, Lord God, that, Father, this wouldn't be just a a thing that would just tickle our ears, Lord God. Or just kind of kind of jolt us a little bit. But Father, just really, Lord, I just pray that this would start to just move in the hearts, Lord God, of each and every one in this place. Yes. That Father, it wouldn't be something that we would forget by tomorrow evening, Lord. Or something we would forget about, Lord, as we walk through these doors. But Father, that it would be something that would start to do a life-changing work in us, Lord God. Father, I just pray that for each person in this place, Lord God. That, Father, when times get tough, as we get into the week, Lord, and, and things start to get... Reflect upon this, church. Reflect upon just the love, the grace that God has for you. Hallelujah. Father, as your love never ceases, Lord God, may our desire, commitment, and love for you be also the same, never ceasing. We bless you, Father. We adore you, Lord Jesus. And with joy and passion in our hearts, we exalt you. We give you praise and thanks as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. The front of the auditorium is open for any of you in need of prayer. Uh, Just come forward.